Good morning. If you have children between the ages of preschool, that's not an age, but if you have between the ages of preschool and fifth grade, you can leave right now. Head to the back. You see the mass exodus out the back door there. I want to read from Psalm 130, verse 5, to start us off, to get our head where I want us to be. I rely on the Lord. Do you? I rely on the Lord. I rely on Him with my whole being. I wait for His assuring word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before You. We're united in our faith in Your Son and our Savior, Jesus. We're, we're waiting. We're waiting for Your word. We're waiting for Your constant assurance. And Lord, we live in times where we we really need this, and we know that you will answer, and we know that you are faithful, and we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Maybe you've said this phrase. Uh, maybe someone has said it to you. <clears throat> it's one of those religious cliches that we hear whenever someone is struggling, which is like every day. Um, they're looking for answers. They're at the end of their rope. And the phrase is, let go and let God. Have you heard this recently? Yeah, I'm sure you have. You may have even said it or thought it. I know I have. Let go and let God. It's become this catch-all phrase, which I've, I've noticed. I see it on, online all the time. And it's a catch-all phrase that especially Christians use for things in life that are very difficult, difficult to explain, difficult to comprehend, that kind of thing. And I, I'm going to be honest with you, it's one of the more difficult myths. Some of you are like, what? It's a myth? Wait, wait. It's one of the more difficult myths that we are looking at in our summer series of myths that Christians believe is actually in the Bible because because it has its place, and it could be used appropriately if used really, really carefully and biblically, but it also invites uh, a complete misunderstanding of the sovereignty of God in your and my individual responsibilities before God and before man. It's like this slogan I picked up this week. Uh, online, when you let go, get ready, when you let go, something magical happens. <laughs> you give God, listen, you give God room to work. And we're going to discover this morning as we go to God's Word, that's pretty messed up theology. So, what are you and I letting go of? Is it hate? Revenge? A deep-rooted bitterness we've been carrying around for years, a particular sin that we are tempted by and we fall into over and over? Is it dwelling on past failures in our life? Yes, leave it behind. <laughs> Repent if that's what's needed and let go? Or is it responsibility? 
planning, hard work, knocking on doors, hanging in there with a very troubled relationship, letting go of the person's response in that relationship because you have no control over that, yes, but not continuing to show love, not continuing to show all that biblical love requires, no. Maybe there are some things in life we're not supposed to let go of. And what about the second part? What are you letting God do? Think, of, think about that for just a moment. Do any of us really let God do anything that he doesn't want to do? I mean, if you think so, then we got to sit down and talk. <laughs> now, if you're acknowledging through that phrase your complete and your utter dependence on God for everything in life, good. If, if, if you're realizing that many things in this life, if not all things, are beyond your control, my control, all the attempts we can put into it and are even at times beyond my limits of physical endurance, good. But if we're saying we've just had enough, done enough, God, now it's your turn, or as if it was never all God's all the time. If we are lazy and looking for an excuse, or we're looking for a good way out, then no. What I'm getting at, I hope you're seeing what I'm getting at, is that we sometimes as Christians, we use these catchphrases, you know, uh, instead of being able to take someone who is in distress, who's really struggling, and take them to the Word of God. And we use these catchphrases because, frankly speaking, in our country, so many people don't know the Word of God well enough to do that. Oh, you need to talk to my pastor. <laughs> what? So this morning, we're going to go, where do you think we're going to go? They're very good. Yeah, great. We're going to go to God's Word to regain a, a more accurate day-to-day -day perspective on how God works and what He requires, what He really requires from each of us. So let's, this morning, hang on to God's Word and never let it go. And then we'll probably see this let God thing part more clearly. Okay, first of all, Let's just say that those who use the phrase usually mean well. Can, can, can we say that? Like if you've used it, okay. But you, you, you probably had the right context, I'm assuming. In its best sense, it means don't worry and trust God. I'm okay with that. But I don't see it used that way very often. Uh, what is often implied is that it's some kind of key to a spiritual breakthrough. Like, it's offered as a problem solver to all of life's issues, a way of suggesting that our faith is like some kind of force field against trouble. When we say let go and let God to someone who's in a struggle, we got to be really, really careful that we're not suggesting to them that if you were just a stronger Christian like me, you wouldn't be dealing with these kinds of things the way you are. You wouldn't be all freaked out 
Let go and let God can inadvertently promote the idea that there are Christians and then there are, well, Christians. There is no Christianity 2.0 in the Bible, even though it's promoted today like there is. Every believer in Jesus Christ, whether they're new or old, immature or experienced, weak or strong, has received every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. Flat out truth. Ephesians 1, 3 to 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has what? Blessed us, those of us who call on the name of Jesus Christ and have trusted in Him as our Savior. We have been blessed. He has blessed us in Christ with what? Every spiritual blessing. But there's still more, right? No. You, you got it. I got it. In the heavenly places. Even as He chose us, I mean, this just keeps getting better. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That what? We should be holy and blameless before him. And we have the spiritual power from God to do that, to live that way. In love, he predestined us for adoption into the family of God. Adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, not ours, not of works, lest anybody should boast, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the beloved. Every believer in Jesus today who is in this room is totally united to Jesus Christ for all of eternity. There is no halfway into the family of God. There is no half half dipped into the blood of Jesus Christ. Every Christian is justified. Every one of us. I didn't say, do you feel like you are? Let's not even go there. I'm saying, you are. I am. And justified means that we're declared righteous. I didn't say, do you feel righteous this morning? I said, God looks at you and He declares you righteous. He declares you righteous totally, freely, forever. But I don't deserve that exactly. Christianity is not Scientology. Are you familiar with, with that cult? It's not Scientology. It's not some kind of pyramid scheme. Although, as I listen to some of the so-called prophets running around today, it's being marketed like a pyramid scheme. Let go and let God. It's often used in some Christian denominations to argue that you can receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, but you may not be receiving Him as your Lord at the same time. There confusing two facts that Scripture is really plain on. Two facts about you and me who have put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. One is the one I've been talking about, justification, that, that I am declared righteous by God forever only because of Jesus Christ. It's got nothing to do with me. And the second thing is sanctification, being set apart by God to do righteous works 
only through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's got nothing to do with me. It's not my power. All three persons of the triune God at work in my salvation and my ongoing sanctification. I mean, I got it made. Justification. Where do you get that, Pete? Romans 5, 18, 19. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, thank you, Adam, so one act of righteousness leads to justif justification and life for all men. Thank you, Jesus. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by that one man's obedience, Jesus Christ, the many will be what? Righteous. And what's the ultimate end with this whole sanctification process that you and I are in? It's Romans 8, 28, 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, what did God do? He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. How are you doing? How are we doing in the conforming into the image of Jesus Christ? That's sanctification. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he, this is the big word for me, glorified. Me? By God? And some take these two truths as if you can have justification without the sanctification. It's, and I think it's because we often don't feel sanctified, let alone justified. And they'll suggest to you that there is more that is needed from you, more that you need to do, more that you need to obtain this sanctification. And it often comes across in that phrase, let go and let God. But have you noticed like me, in, in your walk with God as you go through this life together or even by yourself sometimes. Or maybe you've noticed it in the lives of other followers of God that since Satan has no power over us, since he is defeated in the life of a believer, since Satan can't keep you from a salvation that God freely gives you, he will do his best to undermine and obscure the gospel message that saved you. You confuse everyone, even yourself, about it. He'll tempt you. He'll tempt you to either be overconfident in yourself or he'll tempt you to be underconfident in the God who saved you. Both make the gospel look really small. Let go and let God as advice to a struggling person can potentially lay a foundation, a false foundation, that there is some kind of next-level Christian experience just waiting for us to crack the faith code on. It's like, do you guys like Star Wars? My wife's teaching Sunday school, so she hates Star Wars, so this is good. So I get to talk Star Wars. No. It's like Luke Skywalker. You remember when he's on the planet with Yoda and he's staring at the swamp and his X-wing spacecraft is under the water? And he's trying to use the force to lift it up out of the swamp. 
You remember that? How do we accomplish something so big by doing so little? Do we just tap into some mysterious power that we missed when we got saved? Or, or, or we don't tap into anything at all? Just empty yourself. Do we concentrate more deeply in prayer or do we just empty our mind? Our enemy, the ultimate liar and deceiver, he desires to get us off the comfort that is ours, the, 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 the confidence that is ours in, in knowing that no matter what difficulty in life comes our way, we are already close to God through our union with God's Son, Jesus Christ. I'm not close to God. Yes, you are. Our enemy would love to get us into the insecurity that comes from constantly worrying if our faith is good enough or strong enough. Am I or am I not? Am I or am I not? The best way to rattle your assurance of salvation is to keep measuring it. The best way to undermine your confidence in your, in your justification of who you are in Jesus Christ is to begin holding up your sanctification, how you live out your faith in Jesus Christ, to some mysterious extra enlightenment um, from some kind of ultra-illuminated Christian, or to have someone condescend to you about how you're missing the magical formula or this never-before-known insight that they receive through a vision or a dream or some other way. It doesn't take long for those who are trying so hard to let go and let God to eventually just let go of the whole thing. It's futile. It's anxiety-inducing. It's self-defeating. Let go and let God can ironically make you feel farther from God, not closer to God. But here's something else about this kind of faith. This is what gets me the most. And it has to do with your and my view of God. How we see God and then how that reflects into how we see other people and how we do good works and how we as a church reach out into our community. It has to do with our view of God. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. The heading for the rest of our time is this. We don't let God do anything. In the late 1800s, actually it's the later 1800s, a movement arose in the church, mainly over in England, and it gravitated over here to America. It was a movement that helped spawn this let go and let God theology. It's where the phrase comes from. It's, it's this movement that helped create many, actually, of the denominations that are in America today. It gained its traction. It's called Keswick. Have you heard that? It's Keswick theology. It got its name because they have an annual convention in Keswick, England, every year. And Keswick theology is one of the most significant strands of this, what we have today, a theology called second blessing theology. Have you heard that? Second blessing theology. It's behind so many of the phrases and the theology that you'll, you'll hear out in the world. 
in the church. And it assumes that Christians experience two blessings. The first blessing is when you get saved. The second blessing is when you get serious. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I, 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 I grew up in an extremely Bible-based, legalistic Baptist church. That's what's wrong with me. Yeah, so now you all know. And no, no, it was, it was, I got saved there. But they would reject this and the denominations that promoted it, but it's kind of how they lived. Like there's something more. It's interesting. Anyway, this dramatic change is described, and you've probably heard this in different teachings and sermons. It's described as moving from the defeated life to the victorious life. Moving from the lower life to the higher life. Reminds me of a song that I really liked back in the 60s. Move from a shallow life to a deeper life. From a fruitless life to, and this is the key one, a more abundant life. From merely having Jesus as your Savior to having Jesus as your Master. Okay. And while it's true, it's absolutely true that you and I grow and we are changed more and more into the image of Christ, right? Every day, that's a, that's a process. And, and we walk by faith and less by sight as we move along this path with God. And we realize areas in our lives that have to change, whether, whether you're 6 or 60 or 80. Are any of you finished obeying God? Like you've arrived. Just want to know. Have any of you had any new indications this past week or so of certain areas of your character that need to change? Yeah. We, we all put our hand up. Yeah, this is, the, this is the time to put your hand up. There we go. Yeah. Wave at me. Thank you. <clears throat> so how do people experience the second blessing according to those who promote the phrase, let go and let God, through surrender and faith. Two wonderful words, by the way. Surrender and faith. Let go and let God. But another belief out of this movement is that Christians can reach a point of near sinlessness. Some even would say sinlessness in this life. I've known them. I've talked with them. I've taken them to 1 John because it's so obvious there that that's not true. And it's a fundamental misunderstanding about how sanctification works in the Christian life. And I know some Christians get so frustrated because of particular sins that they keep falling for. But hiding behind all of this is one phrase that is repeated in countless Christian sermons, Christian books, social media memes, even Christian songs. It's the notion of letting God. That you and I must somehow allow the Holy Spirit of God to operate. That we actually have the capacity to activate the Holy Spirit of God. Often I get the feeling from, from some Christians that the, that the Holy Spirit is our servant. 
You know, a cosmic Alexa or Siri. Yeah, a force that we can actually turn on and turn off at will. Rather than, oh, I don't know, the third person of the Trinity and therefore God. Do we think we can turn God off? Does anyone think that? Oh, I'm not talking about obedience and disobedience to the, to the actual words of God. I'm not talking about doing or not doing something out of ignorance because we haven't spent enough time in the Word of God. That's possible. I do that. You do that. We all do that. That's obeying our sin nature, which we still have, over our new nature in Jesus Christ. It's willful disobedience that if we don't repent of, God disciplines. Paul described that in, in, in a works-based sanctification as a dog returning to its vomit. You know, let me say that again because it's quite a picture. I want you to get it now. A dog returning to its vomit. There's a cliche. There's a catchphrase you won't see on a T-shirt. I'm going to post it on Facebook today and see what happens. Really nice backdrop, too, I think. Nah, I'm not going to do the backdrop. No, this is more the idea where, where Christians who ought to know better might routinely? Routinely, thank you. Gosh. Might routinely begin statements with, God can't, or God needs. Have you ever done that? I, I know I've probably done it, and I just pray. If I've ever used these statements or anything like them, I'm doing it mistakenly, and you need to come up and tell me. Or I'm serious. You need to, not right now, but like after. You need to come up and say, Pete, were you saying that God can't? You know, okay. Because serious. And we are told by some Christian leaders in our country today that we need to let God do all manner of things um, before He can guide us, bless us, or reward us. It's popular speak among the many charlatans who will tell you what you need to let go of. Do you want to know what you need to let go of? Let me tell you, your money. Yeah. And your time, your time dedication to my ministry objectives that God gave me in a vision. Any God who needs me to activate Him is not much of a God at all. Our God says in Jeremiah 32, 27, and this is just one of the countless places He says statements like this, behold, in other words, stop what you're doing and look. Here's where the focus is. This is your reality. I am the Lord. I am the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? And of course, that's rhetorical. He doesn't need our help. He doesn't need our permission to do anything in our life. The serpent in the garden desired Adam and Eve to elevate the conceptions of themselves to a godlike status. You can be God's. Why? 
to demote the one true God to a man-like status. Satan loves to develop and encourage, even in the church, this idea that we have a deficient God. You know, he's not always there for you. Let me tell you some anecdotal examples of how he's not there for you. He's not blessing you equally to the way he's blessing other people. Are you jealous? Discontent? Have you noticed he's not stopping you from suffering? Psalm 46.10, again, God says what? Be still. Quit running around and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the heathen, people who don't even believe that I exist. I will be exalted by even them. I will be exalted in all the earth, even though the vast majority of this planet rejects my existence or has remade me in their own image. The true God is sovereign over all. If He does not do something, it is ultimately because He has willed not to do it. The blessings. Are you blessed? Are you blessed? I mean, I am like overfilled. The blessings we all receive weekly, if not daily, in response to our honoring God in our daily life through acts of good works to others, God foreordained each one of those. The works and the blessings. The faith I exercise to receive his salvation through Jesus Christ at age 18 is itself a gift from God. Ephesians 2, 4 to 10, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love that he had for us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he still loved enough to make us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you feel like you're there right now? But this is what God is saying through Paul. So that, why? So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It's all about God. It's not about us. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship. God created you the way you are and is moving you along in this process of sanctification because he's determined to take you this path. And created in Christ Jesus, why? To do good works which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So even our good works as a church family, and by the way, weekly, the stuff that is going on in ministry within this church family blows my mind. And somebody will say, hey, by the way, I must say, whoa, it's happening. There's too many to count. Every one of those are in God's hands, not ours. And even this unity that we all long for with each other, can't we all just get along? Especially in these days, as you and I are being polarized by political forces, 
you and I are being polarized by differing pandemic voices. It's tearing the church apart. This unity we long to have, despite our differing convictions, comes from God. It's not something you and I create. We don't create the unity of the church. Look at uh, Romans 15, verse 5. What? I'm not going to have this on the screen. You guys don't have it back there. It's not their fault, all right? This is me. Listen up. Romans 15, 5. I just put this in this morning. That's why. Now, may the God of endurance and comfort, that's where it comes from, the God of endurance and comfort give you unity. Give you unity with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, the riches. One of those riches is unity. Where does it come from? From God. The power we need to pursue God's ideals of holiness, the power you and I need to choose obedience over disobedience, the power you and I need to participate in our sanctification through the power of the Holy Spirit is granted entirely by God's grace. This should change the way we pray. That, what I read from Romans 15, was Paul's prayer for the church. That's how he ended his letter. Now may the God of endurance and comfort give you unity with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus. In Colossians 1, Paul tells the Colossi, Colossae church, in verse 29, he declares, for this I toil. This is, this is how I do the work and the ministry I do. And we all look at Paul as this shining example. Here's what he says. For this I toil, struggling with all my energy. What? Is that, is that what Paul said? Did, are you reading it? With all whose energy? His, capital H. This I toil, struggling with all God's energy that God powerfully works within me. And then when he tells the Philippians something similar in Philippians 2.12, he says, now what we need to do, we work out our salvation through all the ways that we do ministry with each other. We work out our salvation and how we come to terms with how God works and what he expects of us. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Why fear and trembling? Because And he adds right away to explain why in verse 13, because it's not your works. It's not even your salvation. It's for it is God who works in you. That's why we work out what we do with all the gifts and talents that he's given us and all the resources he's given us. We do it with fear and trembling because it's God's. It's what he's done and what he's doing. So there's a holy fear and trembling of God because it is God who works in you and He's willing to work for His good pleasure. We get to be a part of it, yes. Even living out our salvation faithfully is God working in us. Let God. It sounds good. It sounds true. Why? It sounds true, I believe, because we have somehow smuggled, smuggled a cause and effect spirituality into our 
Christian thinking and into our Christian behavior. It's actually closer to the idea of a Hindu or a Buddhist karma than it is to the Bible. It misunderstands that God declares the end from the beginning, that God does whatever He pleases, and some really special people will suffer in life. Don't ask me to explain it because it's God's doing. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, remember the former things from old? Remember how I've been faithful and I made everything happen the way I said it was going to happen? You remember those former things? For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. What's coming? Well, that'll be me is what God's saying. But but I don't know what tomorrow holds. Well, that'll be me too. Saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purposes. So So we might as well be about God's business, right? Now, you still may be thinking, still may be there going, I'm hearing you, I'm reading God's word, yeah, yeah. But I love that phrase. (laughs) I want to use that phrase. It's, It's catchy. It's... How in the world can, be, can there be anything wrong with let go and let God? I believe in the sovereignty of God. I know I don't, I'm not hanging on to past sin or, or trouble. Well, the problem is in our current Christian culture that with any Christianese phrase, and there's tons of them, is they're usually spoken and delivered and believed without any biblical backing or scriptural explanation. They're, they just kind of hang there in the air, and they sound so wise, and they even rhyme sometimes, but they're left to our or the person who you're delivering it to. It's left to their interpretation, to their ra- human rationale, and just frankly, my rationale isn't always that trustworthy. And if taken to the extreme, you know it can, can lead to laziness, excuses, carelessness, seeing God as someone who you activate. We are to let go of things that are hindering us in our pursuit of God's holiness. But we can't use this phrase as an excuse to not do things we should be doing, or to throw up our hands and give up, which is where a lot of us find ourselves some days, isn't it? Faith is proactive. I'm going to close by reading from James, James chapter 2, because we've been spinning around God's sovereignty and man's responsibilities. Have you noticed? And James puts it in perspective in verse 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is this or that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone's going to say, because someone always does say, 
You've got faith, I've got works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Oh, that's good. You do well. Wonderful. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? Now it's getting personal, right? Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Have any of you come to that place in your life, that kind of test from God on your faith? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the Scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute. So he's gone from Abraham to Rahab in our way of thinking. She was justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them off out another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let go and let God needs to come with a lot of explanation. Here's an example. You've, you've been stressed out. Any of you been stressed out? Of course not. Life is a breeze. So you become stressed out. Let's say you're trying to find a new job. So you decide, because someone gave you some great advice, to let go and let God. So you stop looking for a job. Because you figure if, if, if God wants you to work, he's going to find you a job. After all, it's already predetermined anyway, isn't it? Obviously, that's an unhealthy way of going through life with all kinds of problems and issues. What we need is to encourage each other to instead say, let go of your worry and your fear of finding a job. As a matter of fact, I'll begin praying with you. I'll begin looking for a job and keeping my eye open for one for you also. And you would want to let God by trusting and asking Him to give you peace and wisdom on where to apply for jobs. You'd get assistance um, from someone to create an excellent resume, if those mean anything anymore anyway. You'd get people praying for you, aware of the, the need in your life. You'd get godly advice from people you trust. You see the difference? Someone said, and I love this, a biblical understanding of the Christian life is not let go and let God. It's trust God and get going. I like that. The daily decisions you and I make every day, you've made them already today, I know you have, I have, to obey God and to follow God. Some describe that process as letting go and let, and let God. Or, I've heard it this way more often, turn control of your life over to God. It's actually less about releasing our hold on something that we never did ultimately control anyway. 
And it's more about realizing our hold on that something, whatever it was, was just an illusion of control. So in that sense, yeah, you can let go. Let go of the old way of seeing the world. And you can let God trust Him. See Him as your sovereign, satisfying, all-sufficient Savior. Paul called it putting off the old man and putting on the new man. Would you rise with me and let's put on the new man in our worship, in our praise and adoration of the only true God who is deserving of all of our attention. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We have much to learn, much to grow on. Lord, I do pray that you would drive us to your word. And when we're there, you would fill us. That we would consume it. And by your power and strength through the Holy Spirit, live it. And fulfill all the good works you've already prepared for us to do. We pray it in the name of Jesus who alone makes it possible. Amen.